0: Hey, it's great to be here. Next week, uh, we're starting a brand new message series on the book of Acts. I believe this is going to be such a pivotal time as we go through the book of Acts together as a church. Uh, Normally, we do do message series that are anywhere from three to eight weeks. Keep it nice and short because we know our attention spans this day and age, right? Pretty short. They say shorter than a goldfish. That's a little insulting, but checks out. Okay, but we're going to expand this one out. So we're going to start the book of Acts, and we're going to go through it, and we don't know when we're going to stop. Yeah, oh wow, someone who said oh wow, someone said oh wow, but I wasn't excited, oh wow. But we're going to go through because we believe that God wants to do something in this church. He wants to do something through this church. And as, as we've talked as leadership here, we believe God's been preparing our hearts and deepening us. And now he wants to unleash us and empower us. And that's what the book of Acts is about. So I'm so excited. I think God's going to use this in a powerful way. I think he's going to use it for you personally, for me personally, and then for us as a church. So I'm excited about that coming up. So starting next week, make sure you don't miss it. All right, today we're finishing up spiritual wholeness, and I want to start off by telling you a story about how I am not all the way whole in every aspect of my life. Surprise, surprise. I had a friend text me a little while back. She was on a dating app and got connected with a guy, and in the course of the conversation, found out that they both knew me. Now, it kind of makes you wonder how that conversation went. You know, is that someone's pickup line? It's like, hey, girl, you cute. You know Elijah Friedemann? I don't know, I don't know exactly how that conversation went, but it came up that somehow they both knew me and so she texts me and says hey uh, you know do you know so and so can you tell me about them like are they solid are they safe all that and so I respond and I say hey well you know it's been a while I'm not really close to that person anymore but solid person it's good you should definitely go on a first date and I sent it and I looked down and realized I didn't send it to her I sent it to him now, thankfully I hadn't said his name, so I'm gonna play this one off. I said, haha, whoops, sent that to the wrong person, man. And he said, okay, cool, cool. That was about me though, right? And I said, Yeah, it was about you. And I tried to play it off and couldn't. And here's the reality: I sent the right thing, it was good, it was positive. This is, by the way, just if you came in today, here's the word from the Lord for you. This is why you don't gossip. Alright? Over text, especially. Because imagine if it had been like, what a loser, scumbag, I hate the guy. I just imagine. I didn't. It was all positive. And so I sent the right thing in the right way, but to the wrong person. How many of you know that can happen sometimes? Guys, if you bring flowers to your wife to celebrate her birthday and you get her a gift or maybe tickets to her favorite concert and you give it to her and you say, happy birthday, babe, but it's on the day after her birthday, it doesn't hit in quite the same way. You did the right thing for her. You did it in the right way, but at the wrong time. If you've been making a recipe, and you put all the right ingredients in, and it's all there, but you substitute the salt for the sugar, and you make those cookies, and you feed them to people, right? You might have put all the right type of ingredients in there, but you did it in the wrong way. In life, if we want to be spiritually whole people, we have to have everything in alignment. So we talked about spiritual wholeness, that God can bring this wholeness and completeness to our spiritual lives where we can be fully in alignment with him and his will for our lives. It's possible. The Bible talks about it over and over again. We talked the first week about how that, what that looks like is victory over sin. That sin no longer has to have mastery over our lives, but God can free us by His power, by His grace, from the power of sin. You don't have to stay stuck in the cycles of sin maybe you've experienced. Last week, we had Pastor Roberto come in from Mexico City and talk about how we can live life in the fullness of the Spirit that God himself will dwell in our lives, and if we allow him to, we'll actually have space in all of our lives to control and guide and lead and empower and help us to be who he wants us to be. But you can have both those things. You can have the Holy Spirit at work in your life, and you can have a life with victory over sin, but if you're missing this last component of spiritual wholeness, then it'll be exactly like what I did, texting the right thing in the right way to the wrong person. If you miss out on a life of love, it does not matter what else you do. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, right, you've heard this at every single wedding you've been to, it talks, Paul talks about love. He's writing about love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud, isn't rude, it's not self-seeking. But he says this, you can live your life, you can give all you possess to the poor, you can give up your life, sacrifice your life for the right thing. He says, give up your life to the flames, but if you have not love, you gain nothing. Love is at the center of what it means to be spiritually whole. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 5 today. This comes in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, Jesus gives some of his best teaching. Now, is that fair to say Jesus has better teaching than others? I don't know, but this is where he sums up so much of what he wanted to teach. And in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, he gets around to address love. And he says some things here that, to be honest, I wouldn't say but he's Jesus, so I'm going to let him say what he wants to say and speak into our lives today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, real fast, the Old Testament repeatedly talks about loving your neighbor. What it never says is, hate your enemy. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like us to me, right? We put in, we insert things into God's word that are self-serving. When we come to God's word, we should never insert ourselves into it. We open our lives up to receive it, be challenged by it, be shaped by it. And so right here, this is, this is a prime example of a great, it makes sense. You shouldn't love your enemies. You should hate them, right? And then Jesus totally redirects that. So he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. That's biblical. Hate your enemy, not biblical. But verse 44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. One of the best teachings, I think, on what does it look like to love your enemy, practically, is to pray for them every single day. Pray for them more than you pray for yourself, more than you pray for those who are closest to you. You want to grow in love for someone, lift them up. And I'm not talking pray like those, you know, those prayers in the Psalms, like, Lord, smite mine enemy. Not that prayer. This is the prayer of, like, Lord, bless them. Would you give them an abundance of yourself? Would you give them relationships that flourish? Lord, would you, would you financially prosper them? Would you help them to be in perfect alignment with others in their lives and bless their families? That's the kind of prayers we're talking about. Jesus says, love your enemies. This is countercultural. It's undercutting what the Jewish people would have heard their whole lives. It undercuts what we experience and think in our own lives. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And then what he says next brings it all into focus. Verse 45, so that the result is that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. But the way you love indicates something about your relationship to your father in heaven. And when you love like he does, which is loving your enemy, then you actually model his character, and you will be established more deeply in your identity as a son of God. Now, ladies, you too can be sons of God, okay? We have to be the bride of Christ as men. You can be (laughs) sons of God. Back in this time, the son would have inherited in a different way than ladies would have. So ladies, just embrace it, okay? You are sons of God. That's okay. But as as we love well, we actually embrace more deeply this identity as sons or daughters of God. Love is at the center of what it means. And this is why we reflect that character. Jesus here goes on to talk about He says, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain, which is a good thing, right? They, they depended on crops in this culture. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He says, God blesses everybody. We should be like him. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? The tax collectors and Gentiles in this time were looked on as the worst, most despicable, most sinful people in this culture. And Jesus says they even love the people who love them. There's nothing good or special about saying, last week I love my mom. Like, hey, good, good, I'm glad. But like, if she loved you, then that's not that big of a deal that you loved your mom back. It's just not. But it's a lot harder to love someone who hasn't loved you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Okay, if Jesus had stopped there, I would have thought, nice teaching, good teaching, let's call it a day. One, two, three, break, let's head on home for some fish and bread, or whatever they ate back then. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says it first, and this is what I wouldn't have said, okay? So just to be clear, I wouldn't have said this. I think this is really challenging, but Jesus said it, verse 48. Therefore, so he's summing up what he's just said. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know what you're thinking. Nailed it already. Like you woke up today and you just thought, "I'm perfect. I've nailed it. I've done it." You looked in the mirror, you thought, "There is no flaw. There is nothing wrong." You look at your life financially and relationally, and you thought, "I'm killing it." If there was a perfect life, it was me. You're probably thinking that, but the rest of us aren't. Okay? The rest of us know you get this intuitively. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I've got flaws. Your wife or your husband really makes mistakes and has flaws. There's challenges, right? You, you are not perfect. And so what you've got to understand here is this word, was the word we started off this series talking about, which is the Greek word teleos. And teleos means perfect. It can mean complete. It can mean whole. It's becoming all that something was created or intended to be. So your perfection does not look like the perfection of your Father in heaven. You will never be fully omniscient, omnipotent, all powerful, all knowing like your Father in heaven is. But when it comes to love, Jesus is saying, you can be complete. You can be whole. You can be all that God intended for you to be. And right now, you may be thinking, that doesn't, this is why I wouldn't have said this, by the way, because this seems like kind of a far fetched teaching. But Jesus said it, right? And we don't add to or try to insert ourselves into the words of Scripture, into the words of Jesus. We receive it and we believe it. So when Jesus says, you need to be perfect, like your heavenly Father is perfect, we have to grapple with what does that mean? And never settle for anything less than what God has made possible, what he has invited you into. So here's where I want to start unpacking this a little bit. Uh, I recently heard an amazing message on love. And it was last week. And I thought, this is perfect, because I'm about to preach on love. So what I did is I copied it mentally, and now I'm pasting it over here to you. So I want to give credit to Dr. Chris Bounds, who teaches at Indiana Wesleyan University. He's an amazing preacher, man of God, deep theologian, and he shared something about love I'd never heard. So I want to share it with you and give him credit. He said, often when we, we try to think about what love is, we go somewhere like 1 Corinthians 13 and we start giving descriptors about it. Love is patient, it's kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. it's not proud, it's not rude. And we say all these things, but that doesn't get to the nature of love. What is love? Anybody <clears throat> else start thinking, what is love? Baby, don't worry. You start doing that with a little SNL skit, right? Just a little bouncing around, nobody else. Okay, cool. So that's where my mind went. Uh, what is love at its essence? Here's, here's what he said. Love is a desire for union with something or someone. It's a desire for a close or an intimate connection. So this is true about your friends. You want to have a close connection with them if you love them. This would be true in a romantic relationship, right? In a different way, you want to have a close connection with that person. It may be as simple as uh, ice cream. You may want a close, deep union with that ice cream, like to truly embrace it and make it part of who you are. Right? So you can do that. So there's ways we can say we use this word love in a lot of different ways. You desire a union with that. But that's insufficient, right? Just simply desiring a deep connection with something's insufficient. Like I had a dream a couple years ago, and it was a dream about the running of the bulls in Spain. And I always thought that was the dumbest thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like they have all these guys running in front of all these bulls chasing them. And by the way, it's always guys. No woman is dumb enough to do this, Right? It's like, let's put ourselves out there and let the bulls chase us, and we run until we get trampled and we make it to the finish line. Who came up with that? Bunch of dudes, okay? So I, I've always thought the dumbest thing. People get gored every year. Only a few people will die from it, not many, right? It's like, so let's just do it. I've always thought the dumbest thing. And then I had a dream about it where I was in the running of the bulls. And I felt alive for the first time. And so I I'd, I'd really, to this day, have a desire to do the running of the bulls. Will I? Yeah, you know, probably not, but I have a desire. Now, do I love that? Do I love, well, here's the thing, I don't love it. Kind of like a middle school romance. Like, can you say that like your first crush in middle school that like you might've had a desire for connection, but did you love that person? Well, no, like you you can kind of understand you didn't love that person. So love is not simply a desire for union or connection. Love is something more. Love is a desire for union and it is your will aligned with that desire. So love is both a desire and your will, your decision. So let's go back to the ice cream example. That one connects at a deep level for a lot of us. If you desire ice cream, you love ice cream. My favorite is the Moose Tracks. Like you get Reese's, Cu- Reese's Cups in it, and you get the chocolate in it. And so like the peanut butter, chocolate, ice cream altogether is just heavenly. Rocky Road's not as good because the base of it is chocolate ice cream. We all know vanilla ice cream's a better canvas to paint a beautiful picture of peanut butter and chocolate on, okay? And so so that's why I'm I'm not a Rocky Road guy. I'm a Moose Tracks guy. So let's say I'm feeling some Moose Tracks, which I am. This afternoon, what am I going to do? Get some Moose Tracks. You better believe it. Okay, so I have a desire for Moose Tracks right now. And how I know I love it is that I then have the will sometimes, too often, to go to the grocery store, get it, bring it home. Don't waste time putting it in the freezer because it's pre-softened. I dig in. And I have the will to act on my desire, if you're married or been in a romantic relationship, you know sometimes the challenge in your relationship doesn't come from a lack of desire. You can have that, but often you have a desire for closeness with the other person. What's the challenge? The will to do what it takes to bring that union about. The will to be self-sacrificial. The will to apologize when you didn't really feel like you did anything wrong. And so love is both a deep desire for union and the alignment of your will and your life with That desire. Now, this is important for us. If we want to understand what it means to be made perfect in love, we have to grasp that reality. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, a few chapters later, same book, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 39, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is similar, love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying is you've got to align both your will and your desires and all of who you are with loving God. That's the key. And too often we have this superficial, like, I love God, I'm gonna go to church, or I'm gonna pray some, or but we don't truly have our desires set on him fully, and then the will to do what he wants us to do. Here, here's the problem in all of this, right? For for this is why we have that issue. The problem is we all come into this world broken, broken by sin. There's there's sin that we commit, but there's also, the Bible teaches, sin that's kind of built into us until we let Jesus fully deal with it. And we have this sin built into us to where when we're born into this world, think about love, our desire and our will. When we're born into this world, our desires are for ourselves and our will is aligned with that desire for ourselves. What is self-serving? What can help us? Now, often we mature out of that to some extent, but even the ways often we love others in our lives or we love our children if we're parents are aligned with our own desires. In fact, it's a reality that sometimes, often, even in the church, how we love God is actually self-serving. We don't love God because he is God and we love him for him. We love him because we need something out of him. This is the sugar daddy God that so many people In our world, embrace. It's like, I love God when I need something from him. You've been here. Life's going good. Ah, I don't really need him. Suddenly you hit that challenge. Sugar daddy God, grant me with another blessing. That's what you need now. That's often how we approach God. And so built into us is this desire. It's a misalignment with what God wants. It's a desire for what we want. And we act out of that. I want to give you a great example of this from my own life. I was probably seven years old, I remember it really vividly. I was taking an art class. It didn't work out, y'all. Just, it, this is like one of about five art classes my mom sent me to, like extra things she paid for. None of it worked. At one point, I could kind of draw a horse from a carousel, but I forgot how to do that. That was the only thing I got. And so I go to this art class. I don't remember the lesson that day. What I remember is standing in the doorway, leaning up against the door frame, like a, like a gang member from a 1950s gang, right? And I was leaning up against it. And I remember this girl walking in front of me. She was probably 11 or 12 years old. She seemed really old at the time because I was young. And I don't remember much about her. I remember her name. And I remember the fact, because I was short at the time, she had camouflage pants on. And all I remember is the camouflage pants. And I had this desire to trip her. <laughs> like, coming out of nowhere. I didn't dislike her. I hardly knew her. I kind of was friends a little bit with her younger brother. There was no, There's no beef. You know, there was no issue. It's just she had camouflage pants on walking in front of me. I don't know if this is like my turf kind of thing or what it was, but she's walking by. And so I aligned my will with my desire. And as she walked by, just a really subtle just trip. And she trips and she looks back. And there's about three of us standing around and we're all just like, what's your problem? Like, what's going on with you? And I don't know, maybe she knew. I don't think she knew. And I thought, that was pretty nice. That was... I enjoyed that. Y'all are thinking I'm terrible, but you've done the same thing. Don't don't act like you're holier than thou. We all have things in our lives. We've had desires, and we've aligned our will with that desire, but it's self-serving. Sometimes it's just dumb like that. Sometimes it's self-serving and harmful at a much higher and deeper level, where we're actually bringing hurt and harm into people's lives that's going to last for decades, because we've aligned our desires and our wills with what we want, not with what God wants. So what is love? Love is desiring primarily union with God, and it's aligning our will with that desire. Now, this is really practical and helpful when it comes to your human relationships. If you're trying to think through how to love someone better, you're struggling to love. You need to align your desire and your will in that relationship. But what what Scripture teaches is that love starts with God. In fact, it even says that we love because he has first loved us. That love's source is in the nature of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within himself, apart from the rest of creation that he created. He is love within himself. And so God is calling us to have his character to love, but we can only love because he has loved us. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this is, this is how you can see all these things about spiritual wholeness coming together. That victory over sin and the Holy Spirit in our lives are actually leading us to this place where we can have a deep union and connection with God. You see, it's not about not sinning. It's not about saying, oh, I think I've got the Holy Spirit now. It's about living in close connection and intimacy with God, which then radiates out into deep closeness and connection with other people in your life. Jesus was tempted many times on this earth. One of the first times he was tempted, the first time we're told about that he was tempted is in Matthew chapter 4, just a chapter before where we just were. He's in the desert and Satan comes to him and he challenges his identity as the Son of God. He says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones right here to become bread. Now, what's he doing? He's trying to tap into the desire of Jesus. Jesus, at this point, had been been fasting for 40 days. That's a long time. Your body has started to consume itself by this point. And I guarantee you, Jesus, as a human, had a desire for food. But Jesus, as God in the flesh, aligned his desire with the Father's and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he aligned his will and his desire together and kept his focus on loving the Father. Jesus, in his final night before he was crucified, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's, he asks his, his disciples to stay up and pray with him, but they fell asleep. And so he's out by himself, and he's praying. He says, God, I don't want to do this, get crucified, have to die. I don't want to go through the agony and the suffering of that. But then he says this. Listen how important this is, because his desires lined up. But what, what does he say about his will? Father, not my will, but your will be done. In that moment, Jesus had the right desire and he chose in his moment of probably his greatest temptation to align his will with his desire. Not what I will, but what you will, God. This is important for our lives if we're going to be people of love. We have to be people who truly desire God for God. Who truly want him, not because he can give us something but because he is God and he is our creator and we want to be close to him because Jesus is our savior and we want to be close to him, to truly desire him. Many of us have built up in our lives across time. Maybe at one point you were there, but right now you're not at that place where you just want God. You want God to fix your problem. You want God to come in, but there are a lot of other things that you love in your life before you love God. Here in the South, we love family. I deeply love my family. But often we turn our family into an idol above God. We want our kids' futures to be good, and we'll focus more on that than loving God. We'll sacrifice our love and their love for God so that they can be successful in the way we want to define success. Too often that happens. Maybe you're here today and you're single, and you desire to be in a relationship, you desire to be married, and you have placed that desire above your love for Jesus. You have elevated that desire, and yes, you're still going to Jesus, but the main thing you want out of him is not his presence, with you is you want a spouse now we can be real about the desires in our lives but we can never let those desires supersede our desire for Jesus or maybe you're here today and you'd really have a desire to know God a deep desire to know God but you're not able to your will is somewhere else so you have a desire for God but actually what you do undercuts that You're living in this place where you want God, you want to be close to him, but how you live your life says the opposite. You're undercutting it. And what you need to do is learn how to align your will with your desire. This is why the Bible talks so much about obedience. It's not because God wants slaves. It's because God wants people who love him, who return his love. And God has loved us. He's aligned John 3.16, for God so loved the world... How did he love the world? That he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that is showing that God aligned his love, his desire with his will by sending the son. God wants you to respond to that by aligning your desire and will to what he wants, which is obedience. God doesn't want slaves. He wants children who love him. here's, Here's how you find True and complete love. Here's how you find love that is perfect. You set your heart firmly on loving God. Loving Him before all other things. And then you seek His help and His power through the Holy Spirit to align your life and your will with that desire. And when you've aligned your desire and your will with Jesus, you can love in deep, in amazing ways. Many of you will be familiar with the name Corey Tin Boom. She's a great Christian author. She's, she's a great speaker. But before she was any of that, she and her sister and her dad hid Jewish people back during uh, the, the World War II. They got caught hiding these Jewish people from the Nazis. And so they ended up going to Ravensbrück concentration camp where her dad and her sister died. She survived. She comes out of it. Her faith is intact in Jesus. She she loves him still, and she decides to take that love to other people. So she actually goes back. World War II ended in 1945. In 1947, she's back in Germany preaching about God's forgiveness to a broken people. The people who were the oppressors were really the broken people. And so the Germans there are just broken down, beaten down by what they have done and what their country has done, and she's speaking God's forgiveness into their lives. And as she's doing that, she finishes up by saying, and God can take your sin and throw it into the deepest part of the sea where it's never seen again. She finishes it, she dismisses, they all shuffle out except for one man who comes up to the front. And as soon as he starts walking towards her, she recognizes him because this was one of the officers from the concentration camp where she had been. And her heart sinks. The last time she had seen him was when they were being processed in. Her sister Betsy was still alive. They stripped the ladies down to nothing and they processed them through, insulting them, harming them as they went. And this was one of the guards from that time. So she sees him coming up and her heart sinks. And he comes up and he says, Miss, I don't know if you were aware, there's no reason you would be, but I was actually a guard at one of the camps you were in. And she realized that he didn't recognize her. But he was still one of the guards. And he said, your your message about God's love was so powerful. His forgiveness really touched me. And it would mean the world if if you would just shake my hand and let me know that you forgave me. And everything inside of her didn't want to do it. But she knew it. She believed what she had just shared. And she believed in God's forgiveness and in God's love and aligning her desires and her will with what God wanted. She knew, but she knew she was powerless to truly love him. But she knew she could at least reach out her hand. And so almost woodenly, robotically, she reached out her hand. And as she did and took his hand, she said the love of God, she said it was a miraculous thing. It just came down to this warmth and this love for this man who was a concentration camp guard. Came through her and she began to weep with him. And she felt true love for him. What did she do in that moment? She didn't want to, but she aligned her will with her desire to be close to God. And when she did that, God made up the difference. God wants you to be perfect. Maybe a better word is complete. Maybe a better word is whole. He wants you to be all he created you to be. And that's going to look like being a person of love who loves your enemies. Someone who loves people who don't deserve it. Someone who loves people someone who loves God before you love other people. You put God first before all other things, where your desire is fully on Jesus, where your will is fully fixed on him. So here's my question for you. Is your desire fully fixed on Jesus? If it's not, you need to do what Jesus did, which is look at the desires you have and say, I'm not going to choose those, I'm going to choose the Father. Maybe your, your desire is there for being close with God, but your will is not. And you need to take your will and you need to say to God right now, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, but what you want. I believe God has brought us as a church to this place through this message where he wants us to find spiritual wholeness individually and as a community. And what that's going to look like is lives where we have victory over sin, Lives where we have the fullness of the Spirit, but as much as anything else, it's going to look like lives where we truly desire God before all other things. We align our will with His. So what does God want you to do with that today? How do you need to open your life up to Him? Let's pray together. Father, I ask right now that you would come in, Lord, to our insufficiency We've read your word today and you want us to be perfect or complete or whole in love. And we struggle with that, Lord, because we struggle with our desires and we struggle with our will. But we know that your word is not based on what we can bring to the table. It's based on what you promised to make a reality in our lives. So, Fathers, we're here. We're ready. We're open to what you want to do next. Father, would you help us to surrender our will, surrender our desires to you? Would you fill up our lives with your Holy Spirit and with a love that is not of us but comes from you. As we remain in prayer today, is there anyone who'd just be willing to raise a hand and say, man, I, I, there's a misalignment in my desires or my will or I just I just need to get my desire right and my will right. Can we just raise a hand and say that's where I'm at right now? I want to love God more but the desire is just not coming. I want to have my will align with that desire but it's just not happening. Anybody else say that's where I'm at?